0: Most of us know that stress is not good for us. Anybody in the healthcare professions know that physiologically stress is a terrible thing, but we don't seem to have taken the leap into the deep understanding that relaxation is astonishingly good for us, is the key to healing, is the key to good relationships, is the key to good decision-making. We listen, we talk from a completely different place when we relax, and we all somehow know it when we talk about it, but we don't have that really strong in us that it should be my priority to relax by 20% every single day and it will change my life and change the life of others. It almost least to be a kind of evangelical movement of like, we need to calm down, please.
1: <laughs> Do you find yourself wound up as tight as a spring, going from one situation to the next, feeling a constant kind of low-grade stress and tension, you know there are things you can't control and need to let go, but they seem so important that you just can't accept that. Or perhaps you're looking for a way to stop caring so much about outcomes, which in the grand scheme of things don't really matter. Whatever's causing you overwhelm and stress right now, be it workload, relationships, teenagers, finance, complaints, etc. It can be counterintuitive to learn that the only way to deal with it is often to accept what's going on, lose your attachment to the outcome, and then relax. This is something I really struggle with. I'm very happy teaching people how to make changes and helping them get the courage to act on things and change things which they can control. But when the difficult situation they're facing lies outside their control, when they can't really do anything about something, think COVID, patient demand, A serious illness or that annoying partner. What do you do then? How can you accept the difficult things without going under through sheer stress and worry? That's my current obsession. So I asked John C. Parkin, writer and wisdom teacher and author of the book Fuck It, to come back onto the podcast to help me out with this. Contrary to how it might sound, Fuck It is, in fact, a very powerful philosophy and is really a shortcut to accessing our right brain thinking and loosening our attachment to outcomes we think are important, such as what people think of us or what we think we should do. John and I talk about why saying a wholehearted fuck it to stressful situations can be so powerful and how focusing more on relaxing will help you in almost every area of your life. So join us in this episode to find out the surprising power of the simple phrase, fuck it. How to say fuck it to those situations where you really can't say fuck it. And why becoming obsessed with being ridiculously relaxed just may be the key to everything. Oh, and this episode will contain swearing, but for a good reason. Sorry, mum. Welcome to you are not a frog podcast for doctors and busy professionals in healthcare and other high-stress jobs who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in resilience at work. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us have found that exhaustion and stress are slowly becoming the norm. But you are not a frog. You don't have to choose between burning out or getting out. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts, all who have an interesting take on this, and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? It's just twenty seven pounds and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com/slash get your life back. It's really wonderful to have with me back on the You Are Not a Frog podcast, John C. Parkins. So John, welcome back.
0: Hello, Rachel. Thank you. I'm really pleased to be back. Hi.
1: And John, you were one of our first guests, I think, ever, on the podcast.
0: <laughs> Late 2019, I think it was, wasn't it?
1: Yeah. Before so. before and, and the great
0: plague, before
1: the, before the plague. Now John is a writer. He's a coach. He's a wisdom teacher, and he's also the author of the best-selling book "Bucket: The Ultimate Spiritual Journey or Path." What's the way. tagline there, John?
0: It's the way. way the ultimate spiritual way. Yeah, the ultimate spiritual way. It's like it sounds. It's slightly like tongue-in-cheek, isn't it? That's what it sounds like. You know, I suggesting love it. that suggesting that swearing can be a spiritual path but that is what that is what i argue in the book
1: i love that so if we think about bucket as the ultimate spiritual way how can that be can you tell me why because there's lots of good concepts around there's lots of good ideas there's lots of good models and things and i teach lots of models and with shapes toolkit course but but you've found this as 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 like a spiritual way so how did you end up with that sort of take on it, as opposed to it's just a great model to help you.
0: When we first understood the, the, the power of saying, fuck it, and I say we, I mean Gaia, Guy, myself, my wife and myself, we'd just set up a retreat centre in Italy. So we'd spent the last, the previous few years setting this up. And, and the reason we were setting up the retreat centre is because we were into meditation and Taoism, the kind of going with the flow philosophy and Buddhism, the kind of, you know, the kind of, supermarket mix, the, the pick and mix version that is modern spirituality. So we're into a lot of alternative health and alternative spirituality, which if you kind of mix it up in a, in, in a few sentences is about giving up on attachment, letting go, going with the flow, dropping into presence, those kind of ideas. And what we found was having, you know, meditating every day, doing Tai Chi and Qigong every day. And we found that when we were really stressed, we were saying, fuck it. And that, that had the peculiarly similar effect to a lot of those things that we've been practicing as these Eastern, mainly Eastern philosophical elements. So when you say fuck it, you kind of give up on something, you let go on something, you drop out of this kind of world of meaning that we're locked in, in the the mind. So that, that was, that was how it became this really neat, quick, and very Western, it's quick, neat, it's a tool that you can use it really quickly, and it's a very Western phrase, obviously. It became a Western version of a whole bunch of Eastern philosophies.
1: Mm. <laughs> so it's just that, that shortcut to get you to that point of letting it go, accepting it, not having the attachment.
0: Yeah, I, I, yeah it's a shortcut in lots of ways. It, it's because it's, it's very particular in, in our language, fuck it, because... You kind of know what it means. You know that your problem, the stress that you're feeling and the tension that you're feeling is related to something, the it, <laughs> that you're placing too much weight on. And therefore you sh- you could do with saying, fuck it. So it's, and it, there's, there's hardly anything else apart from the, the use of the swear word, which, you know, is is very proven, scientifically proven to be very powerful in our brains. It's, it's, it's a, it does a very particular thing just, just with the, lang- the linguistic context of it, the meaning context of it. And there is that thing that they found that, you know, most of our language is generated in the left brain and the swear words are generated in the right brain. So it looks like whenever we swear, there's a jump in very simplistic terms. And I know you have many scientists in your audience. So in very simplistic terms... It looks like we jump to the to the to the right brain and right brain again in simplistic terms. Left if left brain's more language, you know, planning, past, future, kind of more logic. If right brain, very broadly, is more s- and calm, playful, uninhibited, and the spiritual connection. If that's over there, then just saying the f word takes us into that part of the brain, which I think is amazing. <laughs>
1: I was reading that last night in your book, actually, and I yeah. hadn't really got that before. Even though I listened to the episode the podcast that we did before, and you talk about that there as well, but it suddenly yeah. just clicked for me that, yeah. ah, that's why we, we need to access our right brain to deal with a lot of this stuff, because yeah. puzzling it through, thinking it out yeah. works to some extent, but then you, you just get stuck, don't you?
0: You hit you you hit the nail on the head, really. Yeah, you can't you can't really sort this stuff out with the the left brain, with the logic brain. with With you can't deal with anxiety, stress, and everything else by thinking it through, because thinking is the problem for most of these things. Thinking is the problem. You know, anxiety. Most of it's about doom doom laden scenarios into the future. We have no idea what's going to happen into the future, but we create a false idea world of what might happen whereas it hasn't happened yet. So it's entirely mentally created. Most of the source of our stress is entirely mental, entirely mind, that part of our mind created. So the solution is very rarely <laughs> in thinking it through, and certainly not thinking it through from that side of the brain. So that the solution, quite obviously, really, is to go somewhere else, not to try and use that to figure it out, to use something else, which is, to try and let go, to get into a different state, you know, where literally, as well as the different part of the brain being activated, it, we drop into a different frequency. So the brain's at a different frequency, and the whole body will change under relaxation. So the body-mind is changing, and then the problems, it's like, you know, looking at our problems from a completely different angle, a different space, and, uh, and then the answers come quite more, more easily.
1: Yeah, there's there's a quote. I think it was Mark Twain that said, "I'm an old man. I've known many troubles, but most of them didn't happen."
0: Ah, yes, <laughs> beautiful. It was a great,
1: it's a great quote. And when I think, yeah, about the stress and the anxiety that a lot of our listeners are going through, I'm going through a lot of people working in these high-stress jobs. It is, yeah. it is thinking about things that haven't actually happened yet. There's probably a bit of dwelling on the past, but mostly it's it's worrying about the future. And yeah, you're not going to use the same tool. To solve it, and so just using using the right brain, it's got to be helpful. I, I had a quite an interesting experience the other night. We were a, did a free webinar. We had loads of people signed up to it, and Zoom has changed its settings. Ah. So, yes, <laughs> even though I had bought the large meeting, paid a lot of money to make sure everybody could get in, I hadn't clicked the button to converse. It or something had happened. It had changed. Yeah. Normally, it had been fine. Changed overnight, and. Only a limited amount of people could get in. And luckily, I didn't find this out until after the webinar. And then I got messages. And I just felt awful because, you know, people have given up time to come and they'd really wanted to come. And I felt immediately, I felt this sort of weight of stress. And I knew I was talking to you this week, actually. And I just, I said, you know what, fuck it. There's nothing I can do. And genuinely, it worked because even though the problem was still there and I did what I could to you know, make sure people had the replay and make it up to people and stuff. Just that saying, fuck it, really, really helped and it, it was quite surprisingly powerful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is. I always imagine it as acupuncture is that more what I'm used to with when I have a, something going on so I get some needles stuck into various bits and it feels like the needle going into just the right spot, just the perfect thing, when the, when the tension and the pain really builds up. Yeah, because it makes us really it 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 bit punctu- Sorry, I'm mixing the metaphors now, but it's puncturing the the balloon of meaning, isn't it? Of massive meaning attachment to that thing. This is so important to me. You're also brilliant at kind of reframing it, as you say, making up to people. But yeah, it helps no end.
1: I guess when it's something that's happened that you can't change what's happened even though it is really important to you, there is genuinely nothing you can do to change what has happened in the past. So to me, that's, that's really, really helpful.
0: When you think things are, have gone wrong and there's been a mistake, and then something else comes out of it, and later on you're able to see that, oh my goodness, that wouldn't have happened unless that apparent mistake had happened. It does seem to be the case that you know when you've lived long enough on this planet, And you you look at the big, the things that you went, oh, that was awful. When it happened, it's like awful, it's terrible. You look a bit later and go, well, that wouldn't have happened if that bit Mm. hadn't gone wrong or whatever it is.
1: Mm. So this whole thing is about letting go of the attachment that we have to the outcomes of stuff. Is that right? And then the meaning behind it. Have I got that right?
0: Yeah, you could argue at a real kind of basic psychological level that it's our... Attachment to the meanings of things that don't matter so much. So it's getting perspective over things. So if we've got a, a kind of, let's say, energy, energy in terms of traditional energy bandwidth, where you, our mental energy bandwidth, and we're using some of it to worry about, I was going to say I won't worry about the bills, but at the moment we have good reason to be worrying about the bills. But, you know, some of it's worrying about the bills, some of it's worrying about whether the government's going to change, some of it's worrying about... And so you're basically you're using more and more and more of the bandwidth to worry about things that, in the end don't matter so much, and then the bit that we worry about the things that we should be worrying about, which is you know health, kids survival, the survival stuff, really survival of us and our loved ones, takes up this little bit in the corner and so fuck it partly is about going Lord that why we why are you taking up so much energy? worrying about that stuff and if you're gonna worry worry about the shit that matters
1: and i think that's been a big wake-up call for everybody hasn't it during covid (laughs) it's like we have all started worrying about the shit that matters or maybe i'll rephrase that we started realizing that some things really really matter and other things really really don't although i think probably after covid we've all started slipping back into the way we were before what for you about the whole fuck it philosophy and spiritual way has changed since the pandemic?
0: Well, I mean, as you say, it was, a, it was a big reminder of what it was a massive fuck it for all of us in many ways, which was a, a recalibrating of the priorities.
1: For doctors, people in healthcare, people on the front line, it's been really traumatic, obviously. And I think coming out of COVID, the workload was really bad beforehand. workload is even worse now and a lot of the work that i'm doing is helping people accept their limits embrace their limits and go i'm a human being say no set priorities but the issue is not saying no and setting priorities the the issue for people i think is that when they try to do that they get pushed back or they worry they're going to upset people or they feel guilty or whatever and then their boundaries crumble and so they just keep going and going and going and going And so the thing I'm trying to teach people is how to accept the pushback they get, accept maybe upsetting a few people, accept not being able to be everything, everybody. So just accepting that stuff that's outside the stuff that you can directly control. And it's interesting, you know, like I said, I work with lots of professionals, high-stress jobs, and we're very left-brained, so we try and think our way out of everything. And actually, you can use... The zone of control to think, okay, what am I in control of? What am I not in control of? And so whatever I'm in control of, what could I do? What are my choices? Set some actions. Brilliant. That that's That's easy. The bit I struggle with is the bit outside your control. The bit then that you have to try and accept. So other people's responses, other people being a bit annoyed with me when I've said no to them. Accepting my own human limits or even accepting when relatives are ill or or things like that so I'm yeah and this is why i was really keen to talk to you and just find out how this whole fuck it way can really help with that acceptance of stuff that is outside our control
0: it's those areas that i actually added to this new edition of the book so i was writing it mainly last summer so in the second part of the second year of covid and it did feel an urgent matter to address, really, that I hadn't really addressed much in the first round of writing it, which was about, and I called it, how to say fuck it when you can't say fuck it. So how, how you say fuck like it when it. you can't say fuck it to death and dying. Not mm-hmm. a small subject and not easy to write about. How you say fuck it when you can't say fuck it to being down, low mood and depressed. When you, how, Saying fuck it when you can't say fuck it to being broke. And so on. Pandemics, climate change, what I call first world problems. You know, there's no kind of international scale of suffering. We we can really suffer around things that other people might not regard as particularly strong or important. There's no relativity scale of relativity for that. Um So yeah, it it and a lot of what I was talking about there, which is which is how to use a fuck it in these contexts, these really, really difficult contexts, where you can't say, well that doesn't matter so much. That's the because that's what we can do most of the time with fuck it. We can say fuck it, it doesn't matter so much, you know, Mm -hmm. and I can concentrate on this, this does matter, it does matter, the the, the relatives dying and the, you know, uh, ill health and everything else. And so much of what I ended up writing in each of those bits as I came to them was about saying fuck it to ideas of how we should be around these things and feeling our feelings as they are. So it's it's a kind of fuck it to whatever you think I should be doing when I'm supposed to be grieving. You know, in, in the end, fuck your ideas of what grief is and what the stages are and how I should look, and dress, act, speak and behave. This is how I'm feeling now. We're talking about acceptance there of one's own feelings in, 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 the, in a context of a world where people are telling us how we need to behave or act. And fuck it is the, the kind of permission to to listen to ourselves feel and express what we feel. And acceptance, as you're talking about, it is often the way through if we can get there. The problem is just the word acceptance brings up as, as much difficulty and resistance as it can help with because it, it, it can sound quite passive. It can sound as if we should accept it and not ask again or push through or tell people how we're feeling. So when we find a way to understand acceptance in our lives that's not a form of passivity, then it's incredibly powerful. It works for me in terms of flow, a kind of Taoist idea of, of how life can be, which is that ev- in Taoism, everything has a, a natural flow. So things are moving naturally in one direction or another. And the trick is to try and, try and move with the flow somehow and not resist the flow. And that doesn't mean being passive. It means that if the flow is towards, let's say, really expressing ourselves, if you can feel it, there's something that's absolutely not right for me. And that everything in me is saying shout, you know, everything in me is saying protest about this. And then protesting is the thing to do, you know. But we, we will all have different ways of picturing this. And, and starting to make it work in our lives.
1: I guess if this philosophy works, it, it works just as well for the little things as for the really big things, doesn't it? And it's really interesting you say about accepting sounding passive because I've had exactly that thought recently. And yeah. when we use the zone of power, we sometimes talk about the serenity prayer, you know, give us the serenity yeah. to, yeah, you know, courage to change the things. We can control the serenity to accept the stuff that, doesn't and i didn't like that much. i'm like that really sounds a bit wishy-washy it sounds really passive and then i looked up the definition of serenity in that context and i loved it the definition of serenity is unclouded acceptance so this it's almost like this very clear acceptance of what is and it's almost like an active acceptance as opposed to I, i think A lot of us really resist the acceptance, like, I've I've got to accept it, I don't like it, I'm going to rail against it, or trying to fudge it and say, well, I'm going to accept that and not accept that. But this clear, this unclouded thing means if there are some things that you really aren't going to accept, like if you put in a boundary and say, well, I'm not going to deal with that urgent test result and you know a patient will come to harm well, then your unclouded acceptance will be that, well, I'm, not, I'm going to do something different because I'm, I'm not prepared to accept that consequence. You yeah. can change depending on the consequences, but there are some things that you are just forced to accept like a serious illness because you actually can't change them, in which case, no matter how much you shout and scream about this, it's not going not to make any difference. So you do need that unclouded acceptance in, in those bits as well, but I'm still trying to work out really what that looks like but I think, like you said about the feeling, the feelings, not being scared to go there.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, That's even in that context, and I've never received that diagnosis. Yeah, I've been ill in my life, but I've not I've received the diagnosis that would clearly knock one. But the natural flow is probably I don't want to, don't want to, don't want to face that. Don't want to face it. Don't want to face it. Then there's going to maybe complete upset, anger, and then then there may be a bit further down the line a level of acceptance. I don't know. It's like fuck it. Is often. Fuck it to the messages from the outside, the shoulds and the oughts about how we should behave, about what we should do in certain circumstances, which usually are just fashion. It, you know, I, I don't mean fashion, uh, uh, clothes, the fashion of what? one should do in certain situations it's in an etiquette fashion or things we should think or say it's very different now in a more individualistic and individualistically spiritual society or, or a, a more agnostic atheist society than it would have been a hundred years ago it's a fashion at any one time so fuck it is about whatever's going on out there and what that what people are saying we kind of should think should do should respond what's going on here for me if when I tune in, what's happening here? I want to. I want to hear that. I want to listen to that, and I want to express from there. Hmm.
1: And that does make sense. So At the moment, a lot of my friends have children going through A levels, and I will yeah. be going through that ne- next year. And you know, some of my friends' children have had COVID. Some of them maybe haven't done as much work as they should have done. There's all yeah. this sort of anxiety and this worry over stuff that really, really matters but it's also out of their control. So what you're saying is if they said, fuck it, it's not fuck it, I don't care about my child's future. And it's not fuck it, I don't care about my child. It's fuck it, I'm going to lose my attachment to the fashion of they should get these amazing grades to go yeah. to this and that's what needs to happen, blah, blah, blah. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely the right. And it's it's always one of the hardest areas to apply Fuck it. Another way of expressing this is extreme listening. It's an extreme form of listening to ourselves rather than the, the conditioned way we have, which is listening to everybody else. And, and I include putting so much weight on people with letters after their names or before their names or in white coats or journalists or politicians or whatever, much as it's going to be important what we receive from the outside to listen as much within is, is part of that idea, which is a spiritual direction as well and in those cases where we're talking about our children just listening and listening and listening to what they're saying and to what the situation is and to being open to as you say not to have an idea and a preconceived idea in our head about where we'd like them to be but listening to them about what's appearing for them
1: i can see that it's saying fuck it to the way the traditional way everything should be done so it's very much fuck it to preconceived ideas of what should of what should be happening how how do you say fuck it when you're overwhelmed overloaded you can't see a way out you've got a business depending on you keeping going you've got patients that won't be told no etc etc how does that work then because i was really interested in you said you've been you know, writing stuff about how to say fuck it when you can't say fuck it, which would be an awesome title for this episode, by the way. Uh, yes. <laughs> it would probably be yeah, the title. Because yeah, so I'd actually written down before, how do you be imperfect in a job that demands perfection? How can you fail when you know you shouldn't fail, when failing might mean that somebody dies? And how can you embrace your limits in, in some professions which just ignore the fact that you have limits? I get it. top five episodes, sorry, and leap into your happiest thriving self again. Just go to youarenotafrog.com slash quiz. How do you say fuck it in those situations?
0: We can pick any of the things we've been talking about, really, and apply them as ideas. But just to apply the listening, the listening thing, and I suppose listening in a healthcare context as well, listening is interesting because it's often about listening to people, isn't it? But it's, it's then listening to ourselves. And, I mean, I, I'll tell you a bit about the, the, the tiny summary of a process that we actually have had for Fuck It! for years and years and years when we teach it on retreats and in workshops. It would always be something like this. It's amazing things happen when you are willing to relax. And then it's relaxed, so you have to kind of relax down. And then you have to listen deeply. So if you listen when you're not relaxed it's often not the the greatest result because you get a kind of agitated, stressed response there. So you have to try to relax first. And then you tend to get quite strong messages when you listen. So, you know, it might be, I'm completely exhausted. I just need to go to bed for a day. Or I need to say no to that social engagement or whatever it is. But there may be messages coming up, both about, From our own bodies and systems, but also more mental things. So the listening process needs to be preceded by some form of relaxation and then needs to be followed by some form of action where you've basically adjusted the value you place on things. So normally we're placing the value as we talked about on the outside or on on certain obligations, certain shoulds and oughts. So you raise the value relatively for the inner messages for the listening inside. It doesn't mean that you give up the rest of it. It doesn't mean that you walk straight out of the surgery and mm. you know, and people people are falling apart around you, but you're on a kind of mixing desk of importance and priority. You're upping the level of internally listening and listening to the situation. And and by doing that listening more and mm. valuing it more, you then make sure you act on that. So it's a kind of again, it's like a radical form of listening. And then acting from responsibility, whatever the context is. I mean, if we get into some kind of difficult conversation, if you gave me the scenario where there's absolutely no way, given the responsibilities of that person, that people would die if they gave up even 10 minutes of the, their really pushed day, then it gets more difficult. But the answer always and only is for that person to listen and listen and listen, I think. And then the answers come and there's almost always an answer to make things even a little bit better and usually a whole lot better and even if let's imagine that nothing changed objectively the first part of the process of relaxing is going to help because relaxing will always help everything apart from the moment where we're faced by the tiger or we're in an emergency room and that is the question I've often had from people who are. I I got that question from a doctor who was working, working in a war zone who I, whom I was teaching relaxation to, and she 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 went. It's not not very helpful relaxation in my job. <laughs>
1: I agree, actually. It, yeah. Relaxation is helpful because yeah. even as a doctor, there's very few situations where you truly require to be in your fight, flight, or freeze okay. so Yeah, yeah, yeah. because <laughs> I've had an incident recently where we had to do a full-on CPR resuscitation of somebody. Out out of it wasn't in practice. It was in the middle of nowhere. It was awful. really stressful and you really needed your adrenaline there you really needed to be in your stress zone to get into this is what we're doing do it now do this do that Boom. but actually even even in a war zone yeah, yes if someone's rushed in and they're bleeding from every orifice, yes okay you need that but I would still think most of their work was in a time where actually being calm having a calm hand doing the surgery that you needed to would be much much better than that Absolute urgent, literally every second makes a difference, yeah, yeah I think, even in a war zone, i don't think every single yeah. second will make a difference, so there are times when you need to be in that zone, but actually most times you need to be in your
0: well that's perfect zone. i I'll quote you on that rachel because yeah, <laughs> because
1: it, I mean, you're right
0: i mean even even in a war zone, you know we imagine even even in the war people are fighting all the time there's there's patches of not fighting, and it would be the same in any job, wouldn't it, even if you're right there in the Emergency. Well, i
1: be interested, you know. And if anyone working in the emergency department wants to comment and write in, I'd love to hear from people because, yeah. yes, in, in in a resuscitation, you know, in the the crash call, that's where the adrenaline kicks in. But there's an awful lot of stuff that goes that goes yeah. on around it, like communication with people, like communicating with relatives, like all that sort of stuff. Where you don't want to be in that stress zone. Where actually to be in that stress zone would be very deleterious to your. Yeah your your practice but the problem is in healthcare most of us are in that stress zone because of like you said earlier anxiety and worrying about things that haven't actually happened yet and when you were saying about you know you'd find it difficult to tell someone to say fuck it if obviously the decision they were going to make every 10 minutes means somebody's going to die i completely agree with that obviously you can't really say fuck it then but (laughs) and i've literally just done a webinar where we Ask people in the poll, what stops you from saying no and setting boundaries? And I gave them the options feeling guilty, don't want to upset people, fear of missing out. some It might have a serious patient safety consequence or something else. 42% said they don't say no because it makes them feel guilty. 3% said they find it difficult to say no because it will cause patient harm. Wow. And 3%. Yeah, Only yeah, yeah. 3%. The rest that's stopping us is guilt
0: and yeah. fear
1: of what other people might think. Isn't that interesting?
0: It, it, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It sounds like we've been talking about boundaries at the same time, because I was, I was on, a, on a retreat recently talking exactly about boundaries and, and why, why we don't say no. I did this retreat, whatever, two and a half weeks ago on the Paradise Island in Stromboli, off Sicil- off, off, just off Sicily. And we had 20 people come to learn how to relax. Being ridiculously relaxed was the week. And it took me the first three days to persuade them that relaxation, like a lot more relaxation in their lives, is a good idea. So there's there's actually an issue where most of us, I think we're we're lost a bit because most of us know that stress is not good for us. Anybody in the healthcare professions know that physiologically stress is a terrible thing, but we don't seem to have taken the leap into the deep understanding, kind of embodied understanding, that relaxation is astonishingly good for us, is is the key to healing, is the key to good relationships, is the key to good decision making, is is as you were talking about, you know, giving people news, listening to people. We we listen, we talk from a completely different place when we relax, and we all. Somehow know it when we talk about it, but we don't have that really strong in us that it should be my priority to relax by twenty percent every single day, and it will change my life and change the life of others. It's almost at least to be a kind of evang- evangelical movement of like, we need to calm down, please.
1: <laughs> oh, I totally agree. We all <laughs> need to calm down, but you, you're yeah. right. Everyone's going on about how bad stress is, yeah. but they're not talking about relaxing. They're, no. They There's a lot of talk about mindfulness and stuff, which I absolutely think is really, really important, you know, that that taking control of your thoughts, noticing the fact that it calms your your mind down. But yeah, I know so many doctors that are wound so tight, so tight, and they just bounce from one situation to another, to another, to another, because that's really what the job has done to them.
0: Yeah.
1: A lot of us, and I know we talked about this on the last podcast, but it's really good to go to, again, a lot of us don't know what to do to relax, John.
0: Honestly. Well, there's a, we need to go. We need to go to the, the scientists to look at that because it's so much science now, isn't there? Around uh, stress and relaxation, the effects of meditation, etc., etc. Even as you say mindfulness, it, tell you what made me think was that we we detach the idea, even when we think about the fact that I'm stressed and I need to relax. We've kind of putting it into a box that feels quite difficult to open. It's like you're when you're in the thick of things, and somebody says you need to be a little bit more mindful. You're likely to tell them to f off. It's like we need things that we can do like this, and that become part of our lives because we need to develop like a, a kind of real, pretty much unconscious response to stress in ourselves to relax and that and practice does it. But we need very quick things, and one of the quickest things. I know, and this is relatively recent studies, and I can't remember who it was, but I think it was a, a, a an academic in, I think, at Dublin University. One of his PhD students was doing something around meditation, and they focused it on what happens in a particular part of the brain. And I think it's, do you produce noradrenaline in the brain? Is it another type of neurodrenaline in the brain? It's a, Nor- it's
1: a neurotransmitter, yes.
0: Here we go, thank you. This breathing was affecting that part of the brain. And what they found was that if you did this incredibly simple breathing technique of breathing out more than you breathe in. So you, the, their thing was you breathe in on to four and you breathe out to six. And you breathe in to four and you breathe out counting to six or adjusting it as you need to. The main thing is to be breathing out more than you're breathing in. It would actually change the amount of that hormone that it was producing and would calm you down. And I remember when I listened to an interview with this this chap and he said, This is the most potent non-pharmaceutical tranquilizer you can get. <laughs> I love that. And that so that does it for me. It's like, okay, that works. And another aspect of that is that you can do the opposite. If you if you do the opposite breath, so you breathe in more than you breathe out, it starts producing this stuff. So it kind of gets you going. So you have this amazing just in the breathing, and I've with work We've worked with breathing a lot over the last 20 years. My wife is a breath worker, and we've always talked about the breathing as a pump. And but this is it. This is the scientific. This is the evidence for for what happens when you adjust those the ratio of at least time in in terms of how you breathe. So I want more energy. Breathe in more than I breathe out. I want to calm down. Breathe out more than I breathe in. And it's very very quick in its effect. And that's working for a lot of people. I'm you know chatting with and sharing this stuff with. So it's really quick stuff like that, not becoming mindful, it's just becoming aware of the breath. And if you do it enough, what we're after is building in a kind of pretty much a perpetual and relatively unconscious awareness of our stress levels so that we build in an almost automatic response to those sensations of stress in our system where we do know we need to breathing, I would, for example, what I would do is I'd I'd do the breathing, i slow down in the way I talk, so I'm talking a bit quickly now because I'm excited, so when we slow down, when we're talking, that actually just calms us down, (laughs) calms everybody else down. It's not good if you've only got 10 minutes with a client, but if the slower you go, the more calm you're going to feel, they're going to feel. I slow down if I'm walking anywhere, so if I feel stress when I'm walking, I just calm down my pace. And the other thing I do because I'm sensitive to sounds is that I then tune into any sounds around me and that calms me down. And the people that I've worked with over the years in, this, in the kind of mind-body-spirit game that are really good at the meditation, etc., they do have this thing of they're always aware of how they are. They really are. They're, they're super sensitised to stress in that apart from it knowing how it affects them, they, they adjust when they're feeling any form of tension. They sit more still when they're feeling any, t- any type of tension. I'm thinking of two people in particular. And one person was, she was a, a Chinese doctor and a Western doctor. She was trained in the West as well. Dr. Bizong Guo is her name. And I remember she used to talk a lot about keeping your kind of battery full effectively so most of us only it's i mean i like i like the phone as a as a as a as a a metaphor for this because i really i haven't got it plugged in now but i like keeping my battery quite full i get a bit i get a bit bothered if it's getting below about 30 percent and i'm out <laughs> most of us most of us only really pay attention to our health or to our state when when it's pretty much beeping that the phone's about to turn off and that's the case, I'm guessing for people who are providing the health services and the people coming in that the 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 warning signs are going off way too late for us most of the time and so the trick is to try and charge the battery try and get it higher and higher and higher and and then get it so that we're full up again so that we feel we feel relaxed and we feel you know okay and there's space in our lives and we feel calmer and then be and then sensitize ourselves to the signs much earlier than the the beeping light and the 5% left or whatever it is. So you get to, you know, you get to 75%. oh, I can start to feel something. I feel a little bit tired. I, I should rest. I should slow down a bit. Now this, this may be pie in the sky stuff, Rachel, for some people really in the thick of it, but this is what I've seen, you know, in people that really are into the, the relaxation with health stuff.
1: Hmm. I think it's good to look at the extremes, though, to think about actually what other stuff you can do and other things. So, you know, if you have got a huge long list of patients, you know you've got to get through. Even just going sitting outside under a tree for five minutes, doing a bit of breathing, it's going to help, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Maybe slowing things down and, you know, and then I'm thinking, listeners will be thinking, yeah, but I can't slow things down because I'll have lots of people waiting. And that's probably when you have to go fuck it. And, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice in the way I need to practice in order to be safe and effective and, and and good. But I love that thing about being a little bit more sensitive. And, and what you were saying about the whole breathing, we know that the, I think this is what uh, just another way of saying exactly what you said, that, that those long out breaths get you into your parasympathetic, so yeah. away from your sympathetic adrenaline-based zone. It's your noradrenaline-based parasympathetic zone. And Paul Gilbert's done a lot of work, which really resonates with me about the, the three different zones we go in and out of. You've got your threat zone, Ah, (laughs) lion. You've got your drive zone, achieve, 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 your dopamine, you know, they think I'm good, the other person thinks I'm good. And then you've got your rest and digest zone, which frankly, in the West, and particularly with doctors and other people listening to this podcast, and probably myself as well, we bounce between drive and threat, drive and threat. We forget to go anywhere near that. That rest and digest zone, which is where we need to be to calm our physiology down. Otherwise, you are in that heightened state of physiology the whole time.
0: We should probably flip it. I mean, let's take the classic kind of Pareto's 80 20 that we can apply to almost everything. You know, it's probably that we're at least 80%, isn't it, in in the drive and thread. And only, I mean, probably the only time we're resting and digesting is when we're unconscious and asleep, or we've been knocked out by alcohol or something. Or, or whatever whatever the poison is for, for people to come and knock ourselves out. and uh, uh, To flip it might be too much, but one way to, to start to flip it so that we're more in the rest thing a lot more of the time, maybe not 80%, would be to challenge the idea that we have to be in a certain state to do certain things. You know, we have to be in that state to get that done or to be with a client or to make decisions. And I mean, you you beautifully kind of responded around this emergency room in a war zone thing by saying, actually, you don't have to be in that state that much of the time. Even in that situation, relaxing a lot of the time would probably really help. And I love that. It's a beautiful example because, as you say, we've gone to the extreme there. And so, and I and I do this in, you know, in my kind of what I do, which is mainly at a laptop most of the day and talking and videoing things. And you know, I've got a, a, a to-do list every day. I've got my stuff. And I, I really find that the idea that I have to be in a certain state to get through the to-do list. In fact, just these last couple of weeks, I really, having done the relaxation retreat, I tried, I experimented again with what it's like to be basically sitting in a calmer space most of the time, you know, in a real tranquil, peaceful, present state and operating from there, because that's what matters. That matters more than, more than anything on my to-do list. So if, if my to-do list suffers, I don't care because I want to be in this state. So I've been in that state, meditating a lot, and meditating – I love meditating when I'm walking because I get two brilliant things done at the same time. I walk, which I love, and it does me a ton of good, and I meditate. <laughs> so I have to do it on your own, but it's great, and it, it takes a little bit of practice, but I can do that. So I do that. I get into a very kind of quiet space, and then I bring that quiet space into the, into the, at the desk – and the amazing thing is these last two weeks, I am getting stuff done that I've been had on my list for months. Because I'm, I'm somehow, I, I haven't really analysed it yet. I just know that it's happening. that I'm getting more important things. I'm more productive than I normally am. And I'm coming from a really slow and calm space. So it's, it's the question. It's like an experiment. Experimenting with, okay, I have this thought that I can't be that to do that. Flip it well, let me just, I'm going to try and do that from there. And I was doing this in, you know, my, my job uh, when I had a job a long time ago in the 90s which was in advertising I was doing this with things like meetings so I'd go into really important, you know, board meetings and things it's effectively meditating and seeing what happened and interesting things would happen. You'd basically kind of half, two, half zone out and then suddenly you'd get the best creative idea and say, and then it would you know, been an important contribution. So it's worth flipping it, I think, and mm. looking at the possibility of what it'd be like to come from a, a more relaxed state in whatever we do, in whatever we do, apart from the, maybe apart from the person coming into the emergency room in that moment. <laughs> mm. Or I the totally time.
1: It, it, it yes... Yeah, don't be too relaxed when there's a tiger coming or if there's a bus heading towards you. That's no. when you want to be in your stress zone and run. Just remind yeah. me of the saying, oh, there was some sort of famous preacher that said he got really early and prayed for an hour every morning and someone said, well, what if you're too busy? He said, well, if I'm really busy during the day, I need to pray for three hours. It's, yeah. it's almost like that. The more, the more busy and stressed you are, the more you need to relax, the more you need to be in that relaxed zone. I haven't got time um, for
0: meditation. Yeah, that's that. It's true.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And... Mm. You know, so, so you can access your breath. And I do remember quite recently, I was listening, I think a meditation from you basically saying, you are really relaxed. You're very relaxed. Just relax. <laughs> Does that sort of thing really help as well? I mean, I must say I did feel quite relaxed after I listened to it. And with your yeah. permission, it'd be good to put that in the show notes for people to access.
0: Please, yeah, please. This is around uh, kind of affirmations and how they, how they work. And one of the, one of the tricks there. Is to say something that you're not already. So if you say I am when you're not relaxed, <laughs> when you're very obviously not relaxed, if you say I am relaxed, it sends a whole range of signals all over the place. And I'm, I'm not going to try to guess what's exactly what exactly is happening there. But your body is kind of kind of going, oh, oh, well, well, really? Okay, then, and it's, it starts to relax. It's and it, and it, this happens not just with relaxation. You can do it with almost anything. So it's it seems to be a little magic trick. There there is, because they've done done research on these forms of affirmations. I think if it's, what they're saying is for some people, if it's too far from what your actual state is. So let's say, I don't know what, let's say you're, you're, you know, really seriously anxious and you say, I'm the most tranquil person in the world. The discrepancy between your state and the message doesn't have the beneficial effects that we would like. But generally speaking, it's a really way of, you know, it's a kind of faking it till you make it, which is what, you know, that's what a lot of relaxation exercises are from the earliest kind of 1950s autogenic training type of things. They watch people. This is, this is how relaxation, you know, as we know it now developed, wasn't it? It's like there's people, there's scientists watching people relax and seeing what happens to them when they relax and asking them what happens to them when they relax and then kinda of going, Well, okay, so that this is what happens to them. This is now a technique. And it kinda of works like that. Your body kinda of goes, Okay, yeah, my limbs are heavy, I'm feeling the weight of my body on the chair, I'm feeling a sense of sinking, my fore one of them is a forehead is warm. So there's a whole range of things. Kinda of works. But the, the best the better thing to do with relaxation though is work out what your own bespoke things are, because we all have so You know, what is it for me? Like the sounds. The sounds really does it.
1: Mm. And do you know what? You talk about that affirmation about, yeah, fake it till you make it, Mm. bringing it all the way back to fuck it. Do you think fuck it works in that way as well? If you really can't think fuck it about something, just actually saying, okay, fuck it. I guess that's what helped me with the webinar. I really cared and I was really worried about it. But just by saying fuck it, it helped me. I was like, okay, well, I can, I can say that even though I'm not really feeling it right now. Yeah. It just helps you a little bit more to that, that journey. Not that I didn't care about it. It's just, there was nothing I can do about it. And like you said, we don't know what the outcome, (laughs) the outcome is. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think it's working in a variety of ways, fuck it. But it's certainly in terms of thinking ourselves into being more, fuck it would be there. But I, I do think one of the main reasons it helps is it makes that little jump from one side of the brain to the other from the bit of the brain where it's the where whatever it is is the biggest thing in the world to the bit of the brain that's that not so bothered and I I don't know whether we've talked about this before Rachel but the there's a book and a a TED talk actually by Jill Bolt Taylor it's called a stroke of insight if anybody googles a stroke of insight do you know that
1: Oh, it's fantastic yeah, ted it And
0: I, I just I just got such a lot such a lot of clarity around what's happening in the in this area just from hearing her story, because it's so extreme. Somebody having a stroke where that part of the brain that we're normally thinking in is basically hemorrhaging. So it's knocked at the bit of the brain that we're mainly in is knocked out in a person who's a neuroanatomist, knows what's going on, even as it's happening kind of picking up what's happening from the fact that the sounds are very strong when she's running the bath and that that part of her body is. So She, after a while she knows she's having a stroke and she knows after a while she won't be able to remember numbers, so she won't be able to get help. And yet she feels this astonishing sense of calm and okayness, total sense of peace and and entirely connected. So, I mean, it's an an astonishing testament exploration into what what happens I and mean, it's like you couldn't you couldn't design an experiment better could you, you see to for for somebody who knows what's going on to then go into that thing and, and she her story once she you know she, she obviously survived to write about it but her she talked in the book don't know about in the talk but in the book about the rehabilitation. And her mother was helping that you know there the were certain exercises she could do to try and rehabilitate the left brain. And she had this decision to make at one point which was she was in this completely calm, beautiful space where she was very intuitive. She could tell if somebody walked into her her hospital room, whether they were whether their intention was good or not so good. She she you know she was working at a completely different level, because her left brain was effectively out of it, and she had to make the decision: Do I get my kind of practical ability back by rehabilitating the left brain and be able to kind of navigate my way around the world and do things, everything else? Or do I stay effectively in this heaven? So practically no good. But I, I can just sit here, can kind I, of like a, a monk meditating for the rest of my life? And she, clearly, she in the end she decided to rehabilitate. But her mission then became to remind us all: don't forget the right brain, don't forget the the hobbies, the relaxation, the letting go, because we're too far over there, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm.
1: Wow, that's just such a good message. If we could just shut off that left brain thinking, access the right yeah. brain, and hey, we can using Fuck It, right?
0: <laughs> we can. And the breathing.
1: And the yeah, breathing. Yeah, but fuck
0: it, fuck it really does it. Yes, it's like the breathing. It's very quick, even quicker than the breathing. But I, yeah, combine it and work out your own ways to, to relax. But first of all, and this is the thing I learnt on that retreat, we have to massively value relaxation, not just recognise that stress is a problem. Let's raise relaxation and a kind of calm state to right the way up our priority list in life. Also knowing then that the things that probably are high up the priority list, we're going to get more easily, more automatically if relaxation is there. Because when people, what's important to you? Oh, my family's important. My friends are important. It's like, you know, the weekend, the la, 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 la whatever it is achieving why all those things that even easier when we're relaxed
1: and you're a better person when you're relaxed aren't you you're more patient more tolerant less snappy just better fun to be with it it's win-win for everybody you feel better and so does everybody else quite frankly
0: it's true we all know it don't we and yet we still let ourselves get frustrated and everything else tetchy because
1: because we feel it's not productive john you know it's not productive if i'm just relaxating relaxating i've created a new word (laughs) if i'm just relaxing (laughs) relaxating they heard it here first if i'm just relaxing i'm not getting anything done am i and i've got all these things to do so it's just not a good use of my time to relax
0: and that's the left brain you see that's the or if you want to go more spiritual about it that is mind that's what the ego is always going to do the ego is going to always persuade itself and everybody else that relaxation is no good, that kind of calming is no good, that, that because that the only thing there is thought, the only way through it is this all the time. So it's like there's a bind, and there's a there's a bind, and addiction. I think at so many levels, I'm guessing there's a there's a bind in terms of the hormones as well. I'm guessing, and you 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 guys will know this better than I do, but I'm guessing there's an addiction to the adrenaline and the cortisol, etc. There's an addiction to being busy. You know, probably the some kind of fear of the of gaps, of the space, of quietness, because maybe we're scared about what would come up. It's not quite as easy as just relaxing because there's going to be reasons where we're stuck in the not relaxing, I think. And you kind of have to think about that as you're going. It's like, am I addicted to this state? Probably am. Why is that? <laughs> what what would I have to give up if I'm going to give up on this
1: state? I, I think busyness, it, particularly for, you know, very high achieving people, high yeah. stress jobs—they just it validates you as important. And <laughs> I remember last year, I took a, a week off work and I did a tennis course. I love playing tennis, I wanted to get better. And I, it, it was in it was in Cambridge, so I was doing the tennis, and then I was going and doing my emails and stuff like that. And the tennis yeah. coach said to me, it was about four thirty, I was going home. He said, "So you off to ha- you know to just chill out now, Rachel?" I said, "Oh no, I, I've got to go and do all my emails, and, and and I've got all this stuff to do." And he just looked at me said. Oh congratulations, you must be a very important person. <laughs> just and put me you right go. in my place. <laughs> just yeah. thought, oh my god, listen to how I sound. It was yeah. it was it was very cutting, but I thought, okay, touche that. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. we and we're all That's like the that guru music.
0: speaking, isn't it?
1: <laughs> yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Oh my gosh. So John, we could talk about this for a long time. And I'm so grateful for I you could. for you coming back on. And I just advise people to go listen to the first podcast because we talk about a lot more of the evidence around the 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 use of the word fuck and the reason why swearing actually can be quite helpful and some more of the sort of main principles that this has been really really helpful relaxation the stuff about acceptance left brain all that sort of stuff and i know you run lots of retreats you do lots of work with your wife about this so if people wanted to do more stuff how could they find out about it how could they get hold of more of your your work
0: the best thing to do is to get on our email list. So just go into our website, which is, if you Google Fuck It, actually, you'll come to it. It's called thefuckitlife.com. And just signing up for anything on there will, will basically allow people to get an email from us once every couple of weeks where we talk about what we're doing, in as we've been talking about in one way or another, therapeutically, spiritually, but mainly about letting go and relaxing. Brilliant. <laughs> I'm
1: definitely going to try and come on one of your very relaxed retreats <laughs> yeah, it. and wonderful
0: oh, i love doing it because it relaxes me so much <laughs> yeah particularly yeah.
1: if they're in very beautiful places as well by the side yes of it. you say
0: relaxing places the place i do it is on a live volcano which adds another element so how to relax on a li- on a volcano that's exploding every half an hour
1: so they're lying by the pool and there's like Bits of molten lava dripping on them, and you're like, just relax. Not quite,
0: yes, but there's certainly the explosion of, like, a booming explosion of the, of the volcano kicking off. So you're, it's a, there's a genuine threat. So that, that's the kind of fight-flight thing. There's a genuine threat, and we're there to learn how to relax.
1: Right, it's a bit like working as a GP, you know, with any yeah. emergency visit might come in at any time. So, you know, brilliant, yeah. brilliant training, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. So before we go, have you got three quick top tips for our listeners? Remember the thing we were talking about? What are the th- three main things you just wish everybody would know? Well,
0: I, uh, we've talked a bit about this. Number one, understanding the power of relaxation. So remembering, for those that know about what stress can do, remembering the power of relaxation and really contemplating how powerful it is in every way in our lives, what it can do with our health, etc., Number two, once understood <laughs> this power of relaxation, number two, prioritize it like nobody's business. Like you wouldn't prioritize anything else. Prioritize relaxation and then watch all the other priorities start to work themselves out. And then number three, practice relaxation. And not just as a you know, half an hour, maybe that ten minutes on a some relaxing app or something, but Practice it so that it becomes an every moment thing. So there's there's always some awareness there of what level of stress to relax you are, and and making it almost automatic to adjust your breathing when you're it's getting a bit quick or you're a bit stressed. So that you build in another system into into your self regulation system. So it's it's putting relaxation right at the heart of your self regulation on moment to moment self regulation system.
1: Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. That has been really interesting. I've made pages and pages of notes here. So thank
0: you so well, much. Thank Joel. you, Rachel. I, I I love talking to you. And we, we get to some really fascinating stuff. And also because of your audience, I understand this the, the importance of, of this as well, the importance of your audience to the rest of us, but also the importance of these kind of messages for your audience. So thank you for inviting me on. It's lovely to chat.
1: Thank you. And as ever, I'd love to get you on again. So we'll we'll hopefully get you back and we'll speak soon. Thank you.
0: That'd be great. Thank you, Rachel. Bye.
1: Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at you are not a frog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.